The security clearance process is complicated. Maybe you find yourself applying for a position with the national security community and then finding yourself with questions you don't know how to answer. Maybe you've held an active security clearance for decades and now find yourself wondering if you need to report that DUI or if your bankruptcy will be flagged under the new continuous vetting program. Security clearance policies are changing and it can be hard to keep up. Whether you're a security clearance applicant, defense industry hiring manager, or government agency, it's okay to have questions. We have the answers. Welcome to Security Clearance Insecurity on Federal News Radio. Brought to you by your host, Lindy Kaiser of clearancejobs.com and Sean Bigley with security clearance law firm, Bigley Ranish. This is Lindy Kaiser and welcome to Security Clearance Insecurity on Federal News Radio. Today, I am very pleased to be talking with Aileen Zanakis-Kozlowski. She is an associate at the security clearance law firm, Bigley Ranish. She also has experience within the government side of this process. And so I always love it when I get people who have the two sides of the coin. She worked as assistant general counsel within the Washington Headquarters Service at the U.S. Department of Defense. We talked to her previously kind of about the 411 on the defense office of hearings and appeals. Basically, what is Doha? What is due process? What should an applicant expect maybe if they have a denial or revocation and go through that process? I want to talk a little bit more about due process because I know that's always a buzzword. And that's one of the areas where kind of, you know, DOD kind of sets itself apart in terms of this process. So talk about that in terms of, you know, the Defense Office of Hearings and Appeals, what due process looks like, maybe interpret that for the average applicant and how does it play out in security clearance appeals? Thanks so much for having me. I think, you know, the important thing to remember as a layperson is that the due process that you have in appealing your security clearance adverse determination is administrative. So essentially, you get the rights that the government deigns to grant you, and they include the right to appeal the right to notice with specificity what they're holding against you. For example, you know, they can't send you a really vague letter that just says, you know, we think you have alcohol issues. They would say, you know, we think you have alcohol issues because on September 12th, you got pulled over for a DUI and that leads us to have concerns. Provided that the concerns are not classified, they would tell you what they are. You also have the right to see your files before submitting your response. And you have a right to counsel. So those are the kind of things that people can look for when they are trying to understand the structure of what this is going to look like. Okay. And then kind of talk about how the process is currently different for civilian service members and contractors. So we've talked previously about, you know, the Doha cases that you can find online and how those specifically apply to contract applicants. Why is the process currently or how is it currently different for civilians, industry applicants, service members, um, or DOD civilians that are applying for a security clearance? So right now, I think the only people who really would notice a difference are the recipients of a statement of reasons or an SOR. If you are someone who has had the good fortune of just kind of consistently having your clearance passed through without event, you really wouldn't notice any of this. But for right now, DOD contractors get, in my opinion, a better structure in a couple of salient ways. One of them is that when they go to Doha for their kind of second bite at the apple in terms of having their case reviewed by a fresh set of eyes, 
the judge at Doha makes that decision. Whereas members of the military and civilian employees, the judge will hear all of the information, formulate an opinion, and then pass it to the PSAB and make a recommendation to the PSAB. As of right now, the PSAB can kind of do whatever it wants, and it doesn't really need to be very transparent. It doesn't need to give a rationale for why it decides to accept the judge's recommendation or not. And it's just a really opaque process, which is really hard. That's a really tough pill to swallow when your entire career is on the line. In that regard, I think the DOD contractors have it much better. At least they get that rationale one way or the other. And the person to make that final determination has met them face to face and looked them in the eye and listened and been able to gauge their sincerity, whereas you never get to see the PSAB. You don't know who it is. Also, as a DOD contractor right now, you get to confront witnesses in this process. And that is not an opportunity guaranteed to military and civilian. But that is likely to be changing soon. It's, it's an interesting nuance, and it's always surprising sometimes, but maybe not surprising as a former you know, Department of Army civilian, that you kind of see more transparency born out of the industry pos- process than you do currently, at least as it stands, civilians and service members, just because of the, how those appeals are happening or how the responses are, are coming out. And also another policy change that we want to talk about a little bit is the upcoming consolidation of the DOD CAF functions. Again, this is going to be super wonky stuff that the average clearance applicant is like, what? What is DOD CAF? But maybe talk to that. You know, is there any relevance there to the average applicant? Do you think that that might change anything with how we see these functioning with that consolidation happening? Yes and no. Of course, you know, we have these procedures for a reason. They, they do make a meaningful difference in limited circumstances. I think the average bear is going to be largely unaware of the changes, but I do think that there is value in wanting to simplify, centralize, and unify the administrative processes. And that's kind of the language that has been used around this effort. You know, on the one hand, we don't want to have a bright line rule where we ignore unique sets of circumstances. But on the other hand, you know, in the interest of fundamental fairness, we do want some uniformity so that people know what's expected of them. And and we want some understanding of how the rules are going to be applied. You generally don't understand kind of what these processes are about until you come on the other side of it, you know, facing a denial or revocation, having to go through that process. I'm definitely interested in your take. I always love to hear from people who have worked on the government side and then also from the private sector. So maybe, you know, what are some of your key takeaways now that you're working as a security clearance attorney with applicants going through this process? How is that different than being on the government side in terms of what you did? And maybe what is your knowledge base, maybe, though, that you also received from having been on the inside working the government side of this that now helps you as you're working with applicants? Well, I was really fortunate because I got to learn from a lot of really smart people and a lot of people who had been in this industry, so to speak, through different iterations and different phases I think there are a lot of people who were really generous in sort of doing the data download for me. And it really enriched my perspective to come to private practice in that way, because I think there's a lot to be said 
for cultural differences. And, you know, way back in the day, we had a Department of the Navy CAF and we had an industry CAF and we had a Department of the Army CAF. And really the challenges that were acknowledged the most when all of that consolidated were cultural. And I see that sitting in the private practice seat as well, even just across agencies. At Department of Defense, there's certainly the same 13 adjudicative guidelines applied as at NSA, for example. But the cultural differences, the way that certain messages are received, I mean, there's a human component to this. And I think that's been most remarkable. I think people want to believe that there's something more scientific to this because so much is riding on it. It really is an art more than a science. Well, and that's what you see how the whole person, you know, comes into play too in terms of you can have, like you said, agency cultures and suitability dynamics and all of that. I mean, that's why when folks ask us at clearance jobs, if they can get a security clearance, I mean, again, I don't know if you get this question as, as an attorney, the answer is almost always, it depends. I mean, because there's so much that comes down to the applicant, how they present themselves, what mitigating factors are there, and then, you know, what the adjudicator had for breakfast that morning. That's, I mean, that's not true, but it seems close sometimes. But I think the consolidation of this, like you said, will be key potentially for rest reciprocity because because basically what's going to happen right is this the dod elements which includes nsa dia are going to all be kind of co-located as it were whatever location means in remote work world and all of that so with that having consolidated mission and focus i think it could help with the reciprocity piece which should be fairly easy within the DOD components anyway, but also just saying, hey, we've all kind of been through this same vetting model, more so from soup to nuts at this point. Am I getting it right? Because if I'm getting it wrong, definitely correct me. No, I think that's absolutely true. And I think when it comes down to these differences, again, you mentioned NSA, and I think that's a really good example because it does look different right now. Right now, it's a panel of non-attorneys who will listen to a colleague's explanation for one hour and make a determination based on the written record and that one hour in person. Whereas with Doha, I think it feels a lot more formal. People often hire attorneys. They put on suits. They go to a hearing room in Arlington. There's a witness box. There's a court reporter and you really get a transcript afterward. And, and, you know, I think that this feels really different and it's so deeply personal. You know, unless there's some sort of a health challenge in somebody's family, having your career called into question is one of the most important things that you're going to go through. So I think maybe creating a bit more uniformity there and kind of waiting to see what this actually will look like in September may kind of contribute to how people approach these things. Yeah. Is there anything else that we really need to know about Doha, the Defense Office of Hearings and Appeals, and maybe going through this security clearance application denial or revocation potentially? Hopefully not, but sometimes it does go down that road. You know, any any thoughts on that? Well, I it's not directly relevant to that, but just one thing for people to consider that we didn't touch on earlier is that there's really only one circumstance in which, at least off the top of my head, that I would recommend that someone not respond to something like this. 
And that's if there's an open criminal matter, in which case I would say, don't listen to me, go talk to a criminal attorney, because this is totally different. But I do know that the statements that you make in response to an SOR or in a hearing can be viewed as a waiver of your Fifth Amendment right, because you don't have to have a security clearance job, right? You could go work at a bakery or at a library. So it's your choice to be making these statements. And you just want to make sure that if there is any open or outstanding issue that you don't want to create vulnerability on the criminal front without talking to a criminal attorney. Yes, that's always, again, the nuance there, I, we never cease to be amazed at the things that people suddenly admit when they are going through the security clearance background investigation process. So it is worth noting, as you said, this is why we bring the attorneys on to remind us of these things sometimes. Yeah, if you have anything that might be criminal in nature, this is probably not the process for you to engage in and consult with a criminal attorney before you go down the path of obtaining a security clearance career. That's so you don't need to be worried about your shoplifting for when you were 12, because I also get those questions as well. But thank you so much, Aileen Zanakis kozlowski Associate Counsel with the law firm Bigley Ranish, for joining us to talk about all of these, again, very interesting and nuanced security clearance topics related to the Defense Office of Hearings and Appeals. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Lindy. Attorney advertisement, not a guarantee or warranty of results. I'm attorney Sean Bigley. The denial or revocation of your security clearance is a devastating blow, but effective legal representation can make a difference. Contact my team at Bigley Ranish LLP for a free case evaluation. Find us online at biglylaw.com. Federal security clearances are all we do. If you're a U.S. citizen with an active security clearance, Find your next security clear job at clearancejobs.com. Whether you're actively seeking a new job requiring security clearance or you just want to keep in contact with hiring managers, Clearance Jobs is the largest security cleared career network. Founded in 2002, Clearance Jobs is a secure, vetted, private career network, meaning only pre screened defense and intelligence recruiters can get access to your candidate profile. Clearance Jobs is the largest community of government contracting and federal government recruiters and security cleared candidates. Both sides brought together to fill the jobs that safeguard our nation. Register for a free profile to connect, communicate, and network with defense industry companies and government agencies and their recruiters. Don't yet have a security clearance? Arm yourself with the intelligence to get one at clearancejobs.com. Search thousands of articles in clearance career resources at clearancejobs.com. Join Clearance Jobs and the Intelligence and National Security Alliance for the new IC Empowering Women, Engaging Men, taking place Thursday, July 4th from 8.30 to 5.30 at the Army-Navy Country Club. From Ignite Rounds featuring the Honorable Sue Gordon to a keynote address by Director of National Intelligence, Avril Haines. It'll be a collaborative and conversation-inducing day you won't want to miss. Learn more at insaonline.org. Welcome back to Security Clearance in Security. I am your co-host, attorney Sean Bigley, and I'm here with Lindy Kaiser of clearancejobs.com. We're talking this segment about the merger of the security clearance appeals process at the Department of Defense. This is a topic that really has gotten very little public attention, but it has huge implications for anybody who is holding a DOD clearance or who is 
at an agency where DOD adjudicates their clearances by reciprocity. And there's a whole lot of those in the federal government. So, Lindy, you know, this is, I think, been really under the radar for a lot of folks and for, you know, probably the majority of clearance holders who maybe go their whole career and don't ever have problems with a denial or revocation. This is not something that is really, you know, occupying uh, the forefront of the mind. But for the five or 10% of the folks who have clearances and do wind up running into trouble at some point during their career, this really uh, has the potential to play a significant role in the process and whether they, uh, keep or lose their security clearance. So before we get into the specifics, I'm I'm sort of curious, you see a lot of folks on clearance jobs who have opinions and are talking about the adjudication process generally. What's been your sense of the general sentiment in the cleared community about the the fairness or the lack thereof of security clearance appeals process? Well, yeah, it's one of those topics that hit such a small segment of the population that I think we, you know, you just don't hear a ton of chatter or conversation about the security clearance appeals process. And that's just, fortunately for the average applicant, I think most of us, you know, the process is certainly arduous and complicated, but again, a small segment will actually go through that appeals process. And generally most folks don't know what to expect ahead of time, unless they've been, you know, reading clearance jobs or they consult with a security clearance attorney, or they're working with someone through the process or they have some idea in advance that they might be headed toward appeal, you know, if they know that there's some complicated issue in their SF-86. So I feel like most people are not prepared for that process, don't know what to expect. And then for me, you know, I'm just curious, like, do you see a major difference in, you know, with this consolidation, do you think they'll consolidate all under kind of how that DOD appeals umbrella works? Or could there be some carryover from some of those kind of other agencies or DOD components, how they currently adjudicate cases, like even in terms of, you know, staffing and all that, do you have some thoughts on how that consolidation practically will work in terms of making the process universal across all of those different components? Yeah. So, you know, I, first I think to your point about the mystery, I guess, if you will, behind the the security clearance appeals process, you're right. I mean, that's that, you know, sort of five to 10% group that I was mentioning earlier. It's, it really doesn't impact the vast majority of folks who hold a clearance. But when it does impact you, it really impacts you. And so we get frantic calls from people all the time who say, I've had a clearance for 15 or 20 years. I never gave this any thought. I never thought that I was going to be, you know, one of quote unquote, those people who are getting hauled into security. And lo and behold, here I am, everything's hanging in the balance. What do I do? You know, it's not a fun position to be in. But on the flip side, we are also seeing I think a lot of folks who are taking the impetus to educate themselves proactively about the security clearance process as a whole, including the appeals process. And I think that's a great thing. I think that clearance jobs in particular has played an enormous role in this in recent years because the internet, quote unquote, is full of bad advice. There's all sorts of rabbit holes that you can go down, but there are very few places where you can go to get a real authoritative advice on something as niche as a security clearance and clearance jobs is one of those places. So I think that, you know, folks who go and who read the articles, and if you, if you don't do that, I would strongly encourage everybody to do it, to check it out. There's a lot of great information on there and uh, it's a great resource. So I think that, you know, that has certainly helped, but nonetheless, there is still a lot of mystery behind this process for a lot of people. And 
in, in a weird way, this consolidation will hopefully take some of that mystery out of the process because it really simplifies things. So right now, as we talk today, there are two distinct processes at the Department of Defense for appealing the denial or revocation of a clearance. And which process you get depends on what your affiliation with DOD is. So if you're a contractor, you get one process. If you are a civil servant or a member of the military, you get a different process. And I've written about this previously, but the gist of it is, in my opinion, and in the opinion of a lot of other practitioners in this area, the process that has existed for years for civil servants and military members is far inferior to the contractor process. And the reason that's the case is there are certain administrative due process rights that contractors get that civil service employees and military members do not. Now, that strikes a lot of people as surprising because I think when most of us think civil service, we think civil service protections, you know, oh gosh, it's really hard to fire a government employee. And that's generally true, but the security clearance process is kind of an outlier. And I won't bore our listeners with the history behind why this is the way this is and why we have two divergent processes, but it's what we've been stuck with for years. Now, in January 2021, a memorandum was issued by the then acting Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security that sort of wiped the slate clean and said, no, everybody's going to be getting the contractor process going forward starting in September 2022. So that's created a lot of confusion for folks because now we have cases where, for example, somebody in the military says, gee, well, I'd really like to have that superior contractor process, they can make a request to wait and to get it. But not all components, not all branches are allowing people to do that. It's just created a lot of administrative questions and headaches. We're looking forward as practitioners to the point in the very near future where this is no longer an issue. But in the meantime, there are a few things you know that folks need to understand. And, and the first one, uh, as I mentioned, is if you are a civil service employee or a member of the military and you have a security clearance denied or revoked between now and when this new process takes effect, you are entitled to make a request to wait for the new process. We typically recommend that folks do that, but not always. And it depends on the circumstances of the individual case, whether that is something that would be beneficial or in rare cases, potentially harmful. The other thing is, you know, the intelligence community components of the Department of Defense, NSA, NGA, NRO, DIA, right now they all have their own disparate processes that are separate even from the two that I just described. So that adds another layer to the onion. And those folks are fighting this consolidation tooth and nail. They don't want to lose their uh, sort of turf, if you will. They don't like the idea of sunlight uh, being shown on this process. That's unfortunate, in my opinion, because I think, you know, transparency benefits everybody. But it remains to be seen whether there are some carve outs when all is said and done for some of the IC components and the extent to which, for example, you know, they're still allowed to continue to issue and adjudicate their first level cases. And then maybe, you know, the second level goes to Doha for the appeal, Doha being the Defense Office of Hearings and Appeals for folks who are unfamiliar with it. Again, I, I recognize that a lot of this may sound like, you know, kind of acronym alphabet soup and gobbledygook, but the point is 
if you are in a situation where you have a clearance that's uh, held or adjudicated by the Department of Defense and you are facing a denial or revocation, in short order, you you may have additional due process rights available to you. And if you don't, there may be some value, some benefit in making a request to wait until you do. So I really recommend that anybody you know who's in this boat, before they go down the road of appealing, that they talk to you know somebody, an attorney with knowledge in this process and experience who can kind of lay out their options and explain you know what it is that they're walking into. Yeah. Now at the introduction, you mentioned one of my favorite words. So I have to touch on that before we wrap this one up and that's reciprocity. Could this process improve the reciprocity piece at all between some of those components within the DOD umbrella? Yeah. You know, that's a really interesting point. The short answer is probably, but you know, as a great example, um, you know, we've, we've heard this reciprocity buzzword being thrown around for years. The reality is there are a lot of agencies that sort of still just choose to ignore it. I'm not, I, I'm not entirely optimistic that it's going to be the silver bullet that solves this problem, but I think it's a good step in the right direction. I think the really the the biggest news here, if you will, from this consolidation of the processes is that everybody other than contractors who previously didn't have the right to confront, for example, adverse witnesses against them, if you can believe that, that's going to change. Civilians and members of the military didn't have the right and still don't today as we speak to have a final decision issued by an administrative judge. Their their decision gets made by a sort of nameless, faceless panel who can disregard an administrative judge's recommended decision. So, there's a lot of issues with transparency and fundamental fairness that are theoretically going to be resolved by this merger. And it's really good news for anybody who is in this process and not a contractor. It's not really going to impact contractors at all. The process for them isn't going to change, but it's going to clear up a lot of ambiguities and, and kind of clean up the process, streamline things. So I think there's undoubtedly going to be some hurdles along the way as this process unfolds. But in the long run, I think it's going to be a tremendous benefit. Always good news. The process is always changing and hopefully this one is an improvement. So thanks so much, Sean. Absolutely. Need to hire security clear professionals? Reach the largest collection of cleared candidates with clearancejobs.com. Cleared professionals trust the privacy and security of Clearance Jobs Career Network, along with federal agencies and more than a thousand intelligence and defense contractors. Features like IntelliSearch, Workflow, and Meetings make it easy to build relationships, pipeline, and automate the recruiting process while slashing time to hire. Get more information and learn how you can connect with top cleared candidates at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Security Clearance Insecurity. Please note the information provided on this program is intended as general information only and should not be construed as legal advice. Consult a security clearance attorney regarding your specific situation. Have a question about security clearance process? Interested in submitting your own topic for security clearance insecurity? Have a question you'd like us to address on a future episode? Drop us an email, editor at clearancejobs.com. 
Thank you for tuning in to Security Clearance Insecurity with your host, Lindy Kaiser of clearancejobs.com and Sean Bigley of security clearance law firm, Bigley Ranish. Join us next time as we continue to answer all the questions about security clearance careers you have, but we're too afraid to ask your security manager.